I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show are we just start I are we j- oh i don't know yeah so are, did, are you recording now yeah we're recording i'm oh, very good this is how it, how formal all of this is yes yeah, really really formal uh uh so yeah i'm christopher i'm drew so many, so many, so many damn books. And we have Catherine Lacey here in Hi. the studio with us today. Thanks uh, for having me over. Oh, thanks for coming. Yeah, on this we, on this beautiful, beautiful day. Yeah, we, we bring you inside so that you can't. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> when you come up to the Upper East Side, it's amazing how it's so much darker just because all the buildings. Yeah. So it's okay. Um, <laughs> it's okay to be inside now. Like I think, like the day has like seen its goodness, and now people are just kind of sloppy and going home a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's true. So yeah, no, this is now it's, it's time, time to come, to come inside. inside. It's yeah, it's cocktail hour. Woo! <laughs> yeah, we're drinking a drink that I uh, made up for uh, Catherine coming into the studio today. It's called the uh, the strange creature. And uh, if you're playing along at home, pause it after uh, you get <laughs> go get orange marmalade. Uh, a f- some fresh lemon juice, uh, some Aranciata or- San-, San Pellegrino, and gin, and uh, just mix that all up. Well, actually, the first three things, and then add the sal- San Pellegrino as a finisher. Yeah. Easy. It's really good. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Uh, will you read a little bit from your book sure. for us? Sure. This is the first chapter. There might be people in this world who can read minds against their will. And if that kind of person exists, I'm pretty sure my husband is one of them. I think this because of what happened the week I knew I'd be leaving soon, but he didn't know. I knew I needed to tell him this, but I couldn't imagine any possible way to get my mouth to make those words. And since my husband can unintentionally read minds, he drank a good deal more than usual that week. Jars of gin mostly, but tall beers from the deli too. He'd walk in sipping a can hidden in a paper bag and smile like it was a joke. I would laugh. He would laugh. Inside our laughing, we weren't really laughing. The morning I left, he got out of bed, got dressed, and left the room. I stayed cold awake under shut lids until I heard our front door close. I left the apartment at noon wearing my backpack, and I felt so sick and absurd that I walked into a bar instead of the subway. I ordered a double bourbon, even though I don't usually drink like that. And the bartender asked me where I was from, and I said Germany, for no good reason. 
or maybe just so he wouldn't try and talk to me, or maybe because I needed to live in some other story for a half hour. I was a lone German woman, here to see the Statue of Liberty and the Square of Time and the Park of Central, not a woman taking a one-way flight to a country where she only knew one person who had only once extended an offer of his guest room, which, when she thought of it again, seemed to be the kind of invitation a person extends when they know it won't be taken, but I but it was too late now because I was taking it and oh well, oh well, oh well. A man took the stool beside me despite a long row of empties, ordered a cranberry and nothing. What's your trouble, he asked me. Tell me your trouble, baby. I looked back at him like I didn't have any trouble to tell because that's my trouble, I thought, not knowing how to tell it. And this is why my favorite thing about airport security is how you can cry the whole way through and they'll only try and figure out whether, whether you'll blow up. They'll still search you if they want to search you. They'll still try and detect metal on you. They'll still yell about laptops and liquids and gels and shoes, and no one will really ask what's wrong because everything is already wrong, and they won't look twice at you because they're only paid to look once. And this, so, and th for this, sometimes, some people are thankful. This, uh, that was from your novel, right. Nobody Is Ever Missing. Yep. And uh, it's been out for... Since July. Since, uh, since July last year. year. Yeah. How yeah. do you feel about it uh, now that you're a little further away from it? I I don't know. I, I guess I like it better because I don't yeah. feel like I wrote it anymore. Like, I just it just seems like... I, I mean, I think I like it better just because it doesn't feel as close to me. You know, I think when you first get something out there, it can feel a little bit like reckless like you're like well but i just wrote this so how can it be a book you know right and right. now i'm like okay it's a book it's out there like people have talked about it like we can move on which is a relief yeah it doesn't feel as big of a, it doesn't feel as big of a deal to me anymore it's like more of a relaxed just part of my life well and now that you've had people read your work on a larger scale do you think that you're um and and people have reacted to it on on all the ways that people can react to things these days. Yeah, some people have died, just <laughs> killed right over. I cried in that <laughs> bathtub. Oh, yeah. oh, you're the famous bathtub crier. Oh, that's me. That's I feel very like true. so many. You maybe, I maybe you told me. Did you come to a reading or something? And then I feel like I your girlfriend or someone oh, came. And they were like, "You made my boyfriend you cry in the bathtub." Laura Vandenberg, and right? I think said, that, but yeah, I saw you at the the FSG night with right. uh, Sasha, which was cool. It's a good feeling making a, a straight American man cry <laughs> man. Yeah. while bathing. Yeah, <laughs> I was that's like, good. <laughs> it was, I was like, this is, I should never tell anyone about this. And then I was immediately like, no, I, I must tell everyone tell about them. it. <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, I really like crying. I think I like to cry. I, I mean, I don't cry all the time, but I feel like when I do, it's always like, this is right. This should be happening. <laughs> so. But so the end of that question, do you, do you think that you're a more charitable reader now? After, after, I mean, has your reading style changed in the w after after all of this? I've been a really bad reader lately because I haven't really been reading as much. For first, well, I think I was. I read a bunch over the summer that it came out because I wasn't really writing. Um, and then now I'm like, then the kind of after a few months of the book being out, then the kind of impulse to write again sort of returned, and I had heard that. It kind of goes away and gets complicated by being so aware of being perceived. Right. So I had kind of prepared for that and was had a novel going before the book came out, which I then had to set aside for, I mean, I just, I, I ended up just setting it. I couldn't work on it. It was just like too scattered. 
Um, so, okay, to go back to your question, I haven't really been reading much in the past, like, several months because I've been, like, on lockdown with this book. Um, and I, I do other things, and I, I teach, and so there's just, like, there's also just, like, not mentally enough time. But I don't know, a more charitable reader, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. Maybe less so. Like, I think when a book is really frustrating me, I'm like, you didn't have to do it that way. Right. You know, yeah. and it's like, and don't try and tell me that you did, because I know you didn't have to. You just <laughs> made that choice. <laughs> you know, like, there's always a way around it. Like, whatever complaint you can have. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. What has it been like um, sort of dealing with with people who come up to you with, like, with weird reactions? Like, I was crying in a bathtub. Like, how do you, how have you reacted to... To reactions? Yeah, to reactions. Reacting to reactions. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's okay. Like, I feel like there's <laughs> there's room for everybody to like. It doesn't freak me out. Like, I guess the question is for me is um, is more like how wh- what called you to this life? Like, what made you think that you wanted to field reactions from people? Like, what made you want? Oh, I be didn't want to do that. Like, that doesn't <laughs> that. I mean, nope. I I didn't want to do that. Like, I I wanted to write essays and profiles and stuff that I could kind of disappear behind more. That was kind of like what my like when I f- when I decided I wanted to make a career out of writing. That was what I was focused on. Huh. And um, through a lot of like failure. I mean, I think everybody fails a lot at the beginning of their writing career. But I was like writing fiction on the side. But I never envisioned myself writing a novel. I never thought about like even publishing stories anybody really read. I liked publishing stories in my little like literary community that was tiny and like that seemed enough. Like publishing a story on diagram and like getting an email from somebody. I don't know if anybody even reads this stuff anymore. Right. Like yeah. diagram and and um uh, like wigleaf and all these like little great literary journals that are out there. I don't know, that was enough for me and so I never like envisioned it being like people would really react to you or there would be reviews. So I then was it the story that brought you to the to the novel or it was just like a short fiction thing that I thought was gonna be a little short fiction doodad that I like to do that just kind of kept getting bigger and sort of presenting more and more challenges and the voice became more particular and I just kept following it because it didn't feel done yet and then it was really big and then I was like, well if I've spent a year or more at this at that point writing it a lot, then I was like, well this should I should r- I should try and finish this. I shouldn't just like, just write for myself. So right. I don't know. It was a kind of slow, kind of like backing into, through kind of the practice of writing in general, like kind of backing into it. So but then, how has that, how has the second novel grown then? Because that seems like it's it's a completely different thing. It was, uh, yeah. Or I mean, like the novel that you're working on now. The weird thing is, I kind of don't know. I've been trying to like look through my documents and figure out like where did this idea come from and like how long have I been working on it? And I don't know. I mean, there's it's a it's a couple of different ideas that sort of grew together, but it was the same thing. I was writing short stories, but ma- maybe writing them a little bit more polished like after th- I finished the novel, I started kind of considering the formal short story more. Mm-hmm. Um, um, cuz you have another novel that that just got sold and a collection of stories, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, it's cool. Have I mean, they're both like half done, <laughs> you know. Like it's still in process, you know. Sure. Um, it's like any. It's like I mean, when I was writing Nobody, I had days where I was like, "What am I doing? Why am I doing this?" Which every writer has when they're working. And I think the 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 trick is to not 
to not forget that every writer feels that with everything they're writing. So I think now that I've done one thing and I have maybe a bad day with the novel, I'm like, that's okay. Cause like maybe next week I'll write like, like 4,000 words in a day, right. you know? And sometimes I will. And then sometimes I'll write like nothing. And sometimes I'll write like 200 words. It's like, I don't have, I don't know. It's, I'm making it up as I go along and I'm still doing that. So right. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you said that you started in nonfiction um, and there is, there is a sort of feeling towards nobody has ever missing that it feels very like truthful. Like you're, you're sort of dredging up truths that you have found to be self-evident after a lot of work. And I, I was just sort of curious, like how you get to this unguarded place and uh, you know where that's so I guess I would say bravery comes from because it seems like you're really laying these emotions bare yeah well I think I was drawn to nonfiction because a lot of the fiction that I had read seemed really like crafted and sort of big and obnoxious and 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 like I could see the seams in it and it always felt it never felt like true like I mean this is just I didn't really read fiction very much like in high school or college I mean I read what I was assigned but not much beyond that. And I I I liked reading, but I kind of didn't gravitate towards writing fiction because it felt really artificial to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked poetry because it didn't feel artificial or the poetry that I liked didn't feel artificial. And I really liked, but I wasn't really like, I never thought of myself as, oh, I'm a poet. I just liked reading it and kind of like writing in that way a little bit, but not really like finishing a poem and being like, I'm a poet. Um, and then I guess I kind of like backed into... Like I started to dis- discover f- fictional voices that felt like as truth felt truthful that felt cl- not necessarily like they were telling you facts, but just felt like the first person voice. Right. What a really well crafted first person voice. Well, okay, it's funny because like I actually. Well, okay, so like when I first moved to New York, I like was in a bookstore and I randomly stumbled on Tao Lin's collection of short stories, Bed. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. just loved them because they just felt like a person that was not me telling me the way they saw their wor- the world. And it didn't necessarily always feel true. And it wasn't always like perfect, but I was like, there's something really raw about this that I like. And I think I started writing fiction more seriously after that, not necessarily in his style, but like, and I didn't, I like, I've, I love that collection so much that I've read like everything else he's ever written, but bed is still it to me like that's really all that that i i needed um but um i don't know so then i don't know i was writing i started writing fiction from a more like I st- well two things happen which is one you figure out that even if you're writing nonfiction, you have to make a almost a fictional character of yourself to tell whatever you're telling right it has to be more authoritative mm-hmm. more like direct and and clear and set you know you say things on the page you can never say in real life because it's crafted in a different way it's always crafted i always thought that i don't know i think i was writing nonfiction that felt more like um it felt boring (laughs) 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 it felt really 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 boring until i realized that it could be fun and then i started i think partially because i was writing fiction but then i don't know like you said that that you thought things and nobody felt really like brave, but I mean, I don't, I don't think all the same things that Illyria thinks. I think some of the same things that she thinks. I don't think in the same way, and I don't, I don't agree with everything that's in the book. You know, right. the way that she sees the world is actually like not 
totally how I see the world, but I am interested in her perspective in the same way that like I'm interested in like Tao Lin's like autistic weird characters in bed and the way right. they see the world not because i totally agree with it but because it kind of sheds light on something that i think do you think do you have an answer like why do you think people look at this book and say oh it must be really autobiographical i i have different theories to this and i think different theories apply to different people seeing that i think sometimes people see that and they, they think that because they really want to be in conversation with that character and so i take it as a big compliment i'm like oh, you like feel something for this character and so you want it to be me so you can talk to me. And so that's, then I can be like, okay, that's nice. But <laughs> then other times I take it as kind of an insult because I feel like I'm, like, I'm not being given the space to um, be a writer of fiction, you know? Right. I feel like, like there's this kind of expectation that like, oh, you're a woman that kind of like... Because I went to New Zealand, so people were like, oh, you kind of like did that. Like, you're like Elizabeth Gilbert. Like, you like ran <laughs> off. And did some shit. And I'm like, I went to a place and I happened to be a woman while I was doing that. It didn't mean that I was on that type of trip, you know? And I didn't think of it that way. Um, and I didn't think of, like, I didn't think of, like, um, writing a novel about what I was doing or writing about what I was doing in a personal way at all. But I, it, sometimes I feel like, especially female writers are, like, not really given space to just research and create fictional characters. I think, like, we're asked to be our characters more than yeah. male authors are. I think it's also the debut novel as well. Yeah. Like the the, ver the first novel everyone always assumes is is you in some ways. Like that you yeah. couldn't you couldn't divest yourself from it, which is also I don't know. There's some kind of truth in that though. Like I ran into um I I studied nonfiction at Columbia and I ran in I my thesis I mean what everything I was working on there was like deeply, deeply personal. Um partially because I didn't have time to do any research, but <laughs> everything I wrote there, um, I ran into my, one of my teachers, Paul Eli, um, who was a great help and read some of probably like my worst work ever and still <laughs> could look me in the eye and have like an intelligent conversation. So I think he's a great guy. Um, and he, I, I ran into him like a couple nights ago and he said, he's good friends with my editor at FSG and he was talking to me about the book and stuff. And I was like, it's so weird that like you only like five years before you read these like very strange essays or just very like not good essays. And now here's this like very radically different in style and tone and genre and everything book that's like out. And that's just funny. Um, and he said something like, you know, I, he's like, nobody wants to hear this when they're in grad school, but often at that age, you have to kind of write something out of your way and mm. maybe it will be good and maybe it won't, but often it's just like the thing that you have to write through so you can get to the next thing. Right. Oh. You know? And I think some people are, are naturally more talented and actually that first thing they write is great. You know, it came from a place of like, I must do this and they did it and then it's actually good but that was not true for me. <laughs> so like maybe that, that was kind of uh, everything I was doing there was sort of like what I was writing through to be able to kind of have some distance from myself a little bit to write something else. The, the voice is the same yet radically different. And what you'd said a little bit earlier about saying things in print that you can't quite say in real life. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that you can do that in your fiction as well or as easily or more easily Either way, as you could do it in nonfiction, that idea of like, here's this thing that is radical and strange that people might get upset about, and let me say it and have people 
take stock in it? Um, yes. I think the answer to my question, to your question <laughs> is yes. Um, that essay that in Guernica, I wrote a, like a few months before I think nobody was published. And it was about a lot of, I mean, what I was trying to write in Columbia was about like LGBT rights in mm-hmm. the South, given the kind of religious situation, um, which I have like a personal interest in from like a number of different routes. Um, and I think that's why it was so, but it was really hard for me when I was younger to like be able to say that, you right. know, even just to say that, which is like not that crazy. Um, you know, and like a lot of people agree with you, especially in New York, you're like, I think everybody's <laughs> equal and like religious shaming of like sexual identity is a bad idea, which is really not that radical, but, <laughs> but given where I grew up and like, you know, that was pretty radical i guess like in that environment and so yeah like i think writing nobody this voice that's really kind of erratic and just saying every whatever she wants to say because she's speaking in a vacuum too she's not really addressing anyone um helped me say okay well if she can say all that stuff and i wrote her then i can probably use some of the tone and some of the like energy and the kind of like um uh kind of use her voice almost as a rubric for filtering my own voice into and then at you know with that essay it's like cites a lot of sources and actually like quotes stuff and is like about like a senate bill that was trying to go through so like trying to it was it was fun to like mash those things together yeah and i think that i did that in like a couple weeks and it was like way better than anything I did at Columbia you know i think partially because i had done this other thing that wasn't related to it right so did you, um, in the novel, um, you just were talking about how it's in a vacuum. I was curious if you ever worry about, like, or did you, uh, do you have that thought of the 19th century, like, it has to have, like, the novel has to have some sort of provenance, like, is it, like, a directed towards someone? Did you have someone you were thinking about directing it towards, or do you, do you have that question that you feel like you have to answer sometimes? No. I mean, I, like, I, when I, st- where it started was not really directed at anyone, because I really thought, like, this is not going anywhere. This was like, this was kind of what I was doing in my writing time in my everyday because I didn't have any real projects, you know. Um, everything I was writing about the South was kind of on hold because I was confused about wh- whether I could write it or not. And so I was like, but I don't want to just stop writing. So I, I'll just, you know, I'll do these little like fiction exercises almost. Um, so no, I didn't really have um, an audience. So I think at a certain point, it sort of became, and maybe like, I'm actually just realizing this right now, um, like my ex-boyfriend from grad school, who I'm still like very close with, um, and who's like a really super excellent fiction writer, but hasn't published anything yet for no good reason, because he hasn't sent anything out yet. <laughs> he's doing he's doing a PhD, and he's brilliant, he's great. But I think he was one of the first people that I, he took his stuff so seriously, and would really always talking about, you know, um, I feel like I learned more from him (laughs) 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 now that I'm saying it out loud (laughs) about well I mean I didn't get an MFA in fiction I got it in in creative nonfiction but I feel like I got like kind of a surrogate MFA in fiction because that's what he was studying Mm -hmm. um so I think at a certain point I was kind of in conversation with conversations that we had had about fictive voices and you know plot structures and novels and stuff Right. So, but but I wouldn't say he was really my reader. I don't know how to consider that. 
I don't, I almost feel like if there's somebody looking over my shoulder, I can't write. Hmm. Like if I'm imagining somebody reading it, then I'm already too far away from what I'm trying to do, which is just like be a voice somehow, you know? Do you, um, do you, do you find yourself wanting to like, because you were talking about Taolin, who's like sort of very Mm -hmm. anti-plot and, and, but this book has a pretty clear, like someone who's stuck, who wants to become unstuck is sort of the the tension and whether or not she can become unstuck is yeah. sort of like the driving narrative force. So I was just wondering if you've ever been drawn to something more genre or plot driven or if that's something that you kind of are not interested in. Um, I don't know about genre, but I really like Joshua Ferris. Um, I think he's pretty plot driven, but he's like plot driven, but considered highbrow. I don't know why. I mean, I mean, he's a great writer, but I don't really, I, I guess... I'm kind of a bad reader. Like, I'm really slow. And I also feel like the more I start writing fiction, the less patience I have for something unless I'm learning something from it that I need at that moment. Right. So I'm, like, really picky reader. And there's certain books that I know are excellent and I've read parts of or something that I just, like, I'm not going to read right now because it's, like, actually not what I need right now, you know? So I'm really picky about what I get into. Right. I'm, and I, I'm, I was, just, I was also sort of asking more towards like something you might actually write as well. Like if, Oh, Oh, well actually, I mean, this is sort of, um, yeah. So what I'm working on right now, I, I was, um, I don't know why, I don't know how long, I don't know where it came from <laughs> or how long I've been working on it or really how it's different from the first thing, but I didn't show it to anybody for, I don't, I guess like a year and a half or something. And then I, I had a, a residency and I finished a chunk of it and I was like, maybe, maybe I'll send it to my agent and see what she thinks. Or maybe if we could like sell it on a sample, that would right. be nice. Cause then I would feel like I'm employed <laughs> <laughs> to finish it and there would be somebody paying my rent. And, um, so I did, I showed it to her and she was, she loved it and she was really picky. I mean, she's, I respect her opinion. I've sent her stories and she'll send them back to me sometimes and with notes and whatever. And she was like into it, which I was kind of surprised by because it's so different. And she was like, it's so different. And then when we sold it and everything, they were, everybody was like, I kind of can't, this is like very plotty. <laughs> this is like a plotted thing. And I was like, it is? I didn't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a lot more stuff in it. It's not so much just like one person's psyche kind of going. Th- but I like the, these. Pa- I like those passages. Mm-hmm. I come. I try. I come back to them. I think I still am structuring this book with the kind of more atmospheric, sort of like rambly philosophical stuff. Mm. There's. I'm just like I keep thinking about this since you mentioned Tao Lin, and I can see mm. Taipei over your shoulder. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, like right next to Ben Lerner's 1004, which it like there are there I'm are a bunch. I'm gonna read of it soon. <laughs> I I loved it, but there are a bunch of these authors right now who are sort of doing this, and I, uh, like, I wonder if it's why some people look at this book and they look at you and they say, oh, it must be the same thing. This sort of like right because near fiction. Ben Lerner and Tao tend to do that kind of like. There's very little difference i mean there's yeah, some differences but they're ben or something th- right exactly <laughs> yeah, they yeah. write much closer to their own identity How? yeah that's a trend that's totally a trend you know what has it been like i mean you just said like oh it's it's plotty i didn't know but yeah. has has the writing experience 
as you're working on this story? Like, does it feel any different to you, even as you're layering in the atmospherics and things like that? Or does it feel the same as it felt when you were writing Nobody? Um, I mean, writing Nobody, it was like being in a vacuum by myself. And the longer it went on, I feel like the more manic I went. And like, I, it's almost like, like with, I mean, with this one too, I feel like, uh, I, if it, I don't know if this is just something about me, but I'm, I don't know if other writers do it this way, but I almost feel like I kind of go method a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, and without realizing it, like I actually like put myself in the mental state of the character. I mean, I tend to write from first person voices. Um, and that's true in, in the next as well. So, um, Illyria's kind of looks like hard to be around and hard to like try and be, you yeah. know, like some people have told me like your book was really like emotionally difficult or I've had friends that'd be like, you know what? I tried, I am reading it, but it's actually like emotionally too hard for me. I'm like not in that mood and I, I get it. I'm like, don't, you don't want to go there. Don't go there. Cause it's sort of like, you know, you have to be in the right mental space. I think to be able to take on that character. Mm-hmm. Um, so your question is, is this the same? No, because the character is very different. I mean, she ha- kind of has her similar, like, sort of, uh, she's at a kind of crossroads, I guess, um, in a similar way, but not, she's like a little, she's much stronger, you know? And right. all, there's a lot of other characters in it as well that I kind of write from their voices as well. And everybody's much stronger, you know? And um, so that's helpful. Well, Illyria is a bit, I mean, her voice is very, um, like, tends towards violence. Yeah. And I, w- I, I wondered if, if you would go through and sort of make things more violent or if, like, if while you were writing her, if your method voice was, was the one who was kind of putting that there. I think it's kind of, I think it's the more the, the voice. I was never like, oh, I need to, like, bulk up the violence in this section here or tone it down like i'm not i don't know if i maybe we did some of that in like the editorial side but like the wildebeest is such a it's violent almost in that like that animalistic way of just this like i immediately picture oh this creature that's like careening around crashing through shit i find it really comic i like the the wildebeest i feel like almost like gave me you know it felt funny to write (laughs) it was like because she was always so like tense and talking about like somebody could just rip my arm off or i could do that or anybody you know it's always frantic but then when she starts talking about like her emotional like mania as like a wildebeest (laughs) it makes it to me really funny it felt i found it to be kind of comic like i don't know if you know the poet sasha fletcher he's a friend of mine and a poet and he writes like just these kind of I feel like I maybe wrote the wildebeest stuff after l- listening to him give a reading one time almost like for him um but uh yeah I feel like it almost it, that the wildebeest is there is like a kind of to remain in that kind of violent tense headspace but to kind of give it some comedy somehow <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's my form of comedy some people don't find it funny I guess my what I kept thinking about was just the uh, the desire to escape yourself, and and escape is such a huge part of this book, and and I wonder if um, I'm totally an escape artist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that part I think is the part that feels really like that's the part that's maybe really autobiographical. Is that um, I mean it's something I'm like learning about you know and growing as a person. 
person and <laughs> maybe not doing that quite as much when it doesn't make sense but like um yeah that, that impulse i don't know is there i mean maybe that's maybe that's a southern thing too like being a southern southerner and i always wanted to leave the south like from like like first grade they gave us blank books and they're like write a book and i wrote this book about a woman buying a convertible and driving away you know <laughs> like that was the whole plot um, and I was like, I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave here. Why? I don't know. I had like, like great parents and like a happy place. I mean, I went to church a lot, but everybody, I liked church, you know, I don't know. I don't, I had like a perfectly fine childhood that I wanted to totally escape the whole time. I don't know what that's about. Do you, I mean, is that, is, and that's still pernicious, like to this day, you still want to jump, I mean, are you ready to leave your novelist life now too? Like, is <laughs> it's like escape uh, on the horizon again and again? I like, I mean, I think I have it much more contained now. I'm like a grown ass woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I'm like, and I'm like, I'm going to get married in August and I'm actually oh, congratulations. like, congratulations. Thanks. I'm like more excited about it than I ever imagined as a child or teenager or younger woman that I would be about getting married. Um, partially because it's a relationship that doesn't feel like I don't need to escape it, you know. Right. It's like a healthy, happy relationship. But I still like I I like want to leave. <laughs> I like want to leave the house to go right before he wakes up. <laughs> like that's my new form of a, it's very managed. It's like okay, that's healthy and fine because you'll <laughs> probably get more work done. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That w- I mean, the escape thing was one of the things that hit me so hard with the book because it's something that I've always felt a pull towards. Mm-hmm. Like I do leave parties and just sort of like sneak out. What about thing. leaving the country? It's, I mean, it's that. And the first time I did it, I was terrified. I went to, I did six months in London when I was an undergrad and I, I, like, I remember being very homesick and all of that stuff. Mm. And then once I had done it now, all of the time I like, I look at my passport and I think, uh, I mean, if I could, like, what if I just disappeared for a weekend? <laughs> or yeah. even, like, within New York, just turn off my phone and everything and just be like, uh, you're not going to be able to find me. You can do that. Like, I, I everybody, th- anyone that's listening to this right now, like, put your phone on airplane mode and go to a neighborhood you don't know and, like, just be by yourself. I think it's, like, the I think people don't do that enough. Yeah. To be untraceable. I mean, like, I I mean I do, I do I like leave the country probably like once a year by myself to do something, um, and yeah that's I mean that's where the New Zealand trip came from. But even when I did that, like I didn't have a smartphone. Like nobody had a smart. I mean some people, rich people had smartphones, but like it was not <laughs> a thing that I had. And I went there and I didn't have a phone and it, no one thought it was strange. So I was like, and I miss that because I can't do that. Like even yeah. I've taken some trips since then. And I always end up bringing my phone and I'll like, maybe I won't be around it all the time, but I'll have Wi-Fi or something. But like, that was the last time that I really was like off the grid and I didn't call home and it was great. It was great. I mean, it was also super hard, but I think it's, I think it's really worthwhile. I enjoy it. I don't know. So, I mean, on a larger scale then, do you, I mean, do you, I'm going to just ask my, this is my pet. (laughs) um subject is just technology as like pernicious technology yeah and yeah i don't know i we have this love-hate relationship with our devices Mm. and i i i don't know i keep for all of my not liking devices i keep finding myself with more so yeah yeah and And more social media platforms yeah yeah Yeah. and yeah and some of that is great though because you can sort of create these selves 
at least in the social media, it's like, oh, I can be six different people and no one knows, you know, hmm. on the internet, no one knows you're a dog sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just, I just feel like, I don't know, like, do you, do you think that traveling was more pure or, or when you, when you ha were traveling between two spaces and no one knew when you were going to get there? Or I don't know, d is, is there a, I guess it's the whole dystopian thing too of like, wouldn't it be better if we could move to a, to an older time? I mean, is that something that you agree with? I mean, I think now, um, I mean, I, do, I, I am, I don't, I, I really, it bothers me when people have their phones out, like they're out at a restaurant, like talking to somebody and their phone is like on the table, like face up. Like, what if I get a text? Like, yeah. what if someone needs to get in touch with me? Like, or what if I get a Twitter like I've taken a lot of I I got a smartphone and then I took all a lot of things off of it, um, and I've been much happier. Like I don't have Twitter <laughs> around me whenever. Like yeah. oh, <laughs> if I go sit in front of my computer and decide, oh, I want to look at the Twitter, then I'll do that. But like, and then it feels like oh, I'm choosing to do this versus like having alerts on your phone and just knowing what everyone thinks at all times. Like I don't I don't want that. I don't know I don't know if I I don't know. There's a lot great about technology, you know, like, I mean, especially in the last couple years with all the various different things we've had to protest and things that have needed to be recorded and, like, police violence and people having video cameras that are of pretty good quality in all of their pockets has been kind of a good thing yeah, for absolutely. us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, like, kind of maybe maybe it's cutting against us in ways we don't even know yet, but, like... That part, I don't, you know, you can't, you can't, like, write off the whole thing. That said, I think that everybody, I'm, like, I have to have the internet off when I'm working, and I have to, my favorite places to work are the places where there's just, there's no internet. Mm -hmm. There'll be, like, a couple times in the first hour of being with no internet that'll have an impulse to be, like, what if, what about, what if there's something in my email, you know, right. I, that I could know about, and I would be able to reply to it, or know something that I don't know right now but then that'll pass and then I'll be able to write for much longer and I feel like I'm much happier at the end of it you know mm. whereas like if I have if I'm letting myself get distracted while I'm working I think at the end of that work session I'm like disappointed in myself regardless even if I just checked my email once I'm disappointed well I think that that a lot of people end up discounting like y like you were saying earlier that um when you're writing anything like that's for your, your writing for the day, it's like, oh, I got a thousand words out and it happened to be on your article, your short story or your novel, whatever mm -hmm. it was that you're working on. But I think that what some people don't realize is like your thousand words might have been, you know, like your four tweets and your emails to 10 of your friends. And then like and then that was it. That was all you had. There's uh, this guy I know that is a great writer, and I asked him once what he was working on. He said Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, he was being honest, but I was like. And I was like, oh, yeah, he has a lot of followers. But, you know, I think it I think it's been a struggle of like technology versus work. You know, it's cut into his. I love face. that recently, too, there have been app like I have one for my phone where you set a timer and it plants a tree. And if you touch your phone before the timer goes off, it kills the tree. Oh. And so I was like, oh, well, that feels. Uh. But so I'll you try like to train your brain. Yeah, yeah, I'll use that at work. But then there's an app called Freedom that I downloaded for my computer that, like, for writing, because I'll try to trick myself and I'll be like, but I need to look this thing up, like this uh, this thing that's related to my writing. Right. And then. And then that that's the, that's the black hole. But right. here's this new. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me preach. Yeah. Okay. Preach. Um, 
no, this is not really the gospel. This is just like a new practice that I feel like I invented and I'm kind of, I'm pleased with, which is um, when I'm working, I have the screen open doing the writing. Sometimes I'm, I'm somewhere where I could turn the internet back on or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I have this, I'll have like a second document that's open and I'll, anytime I have the impulse to write some, to like check some email or do some sort of Twitter or something like that or look something up or if I'm like, oh, don't forget you have to make that appointment with your tax person. You know, like instead of just being like, I'll just send that email now. Like I'll just email to her now. I'll just go to the other document, write down the time. So it'll be like, you know, 825 you wanted to email your tax person. And then I'll just go back to the document. And or like, you know, 927, you just wanted to check your email for no goddamn reason. Go back. Like, <laughs> 10.03, you just stared out the window for five minutes straight doing nothing. Oh. And go back. And so I'm just sort of tracking the moments when I'm really distracted. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, 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 and like, just the, imp- the, the act of moving away from what I'm working on, writing down what the distraction was, and then going back, I feel like it's helping me not... It's helping me just sort of, like, see when I'm distracted or not. And then also, like, you know, it's, I think it's helping me, like, not get distracted this is my theory and then i just have i just have i'm like kind of it no hallelujah like you're preaching i am buying like a good idea yeah. i'm going to bring it back to books um because a book a printed book is still one of the few things that's just like that is the one thing that it can do is tell you the story that it's yeah. there for and I think that we're we're drawn to, as as bookish people, we're drawn to these experiences. And the thing that is amazing to me is some people are not at They're all. They're not drawn to books? They're just no, not drawn to the single experience anymore. Oh, yeah. they don't want to just be able to be they locked into one thing. At all. That's mm-hmm. not even interesting. There's no, there's no instinct towards that at all. But I guess, like, you know, those aren't the people that necessarily are going to be listening to this podcast anymore. <laughs> no, but <laughs> if they are, yeah. <laughs> they've well, been guys. publicly shamed. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, John Ronson. <laughs> um, well, do you have any? Um, you said you have. Well, I mean, do you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners as something that they need to check out for reading, or or oh, also anything? I'm reading the Folded Clock by Heidi Julevitz. <gasps> oh yeah, how is it's it? really great. I'm really, really, really enjoying it. It's what? also helping me like, I, like I feel like I've been in a little bit of a fiction hiatus, and it's helped me just like just read again <laughs> what drew you to it was it just Heidi's work or oh yeah I've really I've loved a lot of her novels and um her writing in general I, it was random I didn't even know she had a book coming out and then my sister sent me the uh, link to an excerpt of the book that ran somewhere and, I w- and she didn't know she didn't know that I liked Heidi already um and I, I work with her but I mean, I took a class with her. <laughs> 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 I like, I really like Heidi, but um, <laughs> but uh, I, d- I had no clue she had a book coming out until like recently, and um, then I went and bought it, and I am reading and enjoying it. Mm. It's very good. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for ha- coming on so many yeah. damn books. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for, for having by. me on so many damn books. <laughs> Are you going to recommend a book at the end of this episode?
Uh... 